Well, hello, and welcome to The Insecurity Project. I'm your host, Jamin Fraser, and I am on a mission to end the unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. We've all got it. We've all got to work through it. But thankfully, there is a clear, intelligent, and complete solution to the insecurity problem, and that is what this project is all about. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Hey, friends, you're on the Insecurity Project podcast with Jamin. I'm doing a live coaching demonstration today, which is, look, it's always a treat when I get invited into someone's world to have uh, this kind of conversation. Um, and made more incredible by the fact that you get to listen in. So I love doing these sessions and love making them available, but they always require the courage and vulnerability of a willing soul. So when you're listening today, only listen with love and respect because it, it takes some, some boldness to be willing to have a conversation like this uh, in front of who knows who. So um, today I've got Jill. Thanks, Jill, for being willing to put yourself out there. No problem. Thanks, Jamin. Listen, now we've done some coaching before, so you know how this works. Um, so you know that it's a safe space. You know that you're the hero in the story, and I'm just here to help you get more of what you want. So let's have some fun. Let's dive in and see how, uh, yeah, how it can give you some clarity or awareness or more choice. Hold you with some frameworks and tools to, to help you uh, get more of what you want. So. What do you want to talk about? What's what's going on that you'd like to address? Uh, so I think the, the biggest uh, hurdle I think in my life is um, sort of a an inability to maintain, uh, I guess, pleasure or, or anything that's kind of rewarding um, and, you know, perhaps a, a resistance to any kind of attention. Okay, uh, keep talking. Make sure I understand exactly what you mean by that. Okay, um, so I guess I, I for the, the bulk of my life, um, I seem to always find myself self in um, situations that aren't really ideal. So, you know, I'm in a, a, a job I hate. Um, you know, uh, I avoid relationships. Um, I make sure my house is always messy because, you know, it would just be devastating to walk into a beautiful, clean, you know, house <laughs> and live in, live in a beautiful, nice house all the time. Um, yep. And I guess, you know, when I, I, I do seek pleasurable um, experiences, so, you know, I, I do ride a motorbike, which, you know, I have the nicest motorbike in the world that I love that I never ride. Um, you actually, sorry, you, just to put it back there, you actually have the nicest motorbike in the whole world. In the whole world, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like it's perfect wow. for me. It's yeah, it, it's That's my so favourite colour. Um, you know, it looks great. Yeah, so it may not be the best motorbike for a lot of people, but for me, it's it's perfect. Yep. Um, but it's neglected. It, it sits in my garage, and um, you know, every time I leave my house, it says, "Jill, please drive me," and and I always have an excuse. Um, and you know, I I love to play sport, but I'm always injured. You know, um, and I guess hmm. if I do, if I do actually have some success in my life, which you know happens from time to time, because I do often put myself out there, you know, I yeah. suddenly find myself sick. Oh right, yeah, yeah. How curious. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Oh, that's it. Well, I think that's uh, a pretty good summary. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> 
Um, how's it a problem for you? How's um, not having pleasure a problem? Yeah, so, I mean, look, obviously we've done a fair bit of work in the past, so, um, you know, I probably don't have to start from the, the absolute beginning, um, but I, because I, I, one of the biggest, um, I guess, benefits I got from doing your boot camp was just understanding that, that you know, the things that I think I'm whinging about actually does serve service. So that is that is a lesson that, that I have learnt, um, and right. that takes away... I guess, um, I mean, I, I take ownership for it and I understand it, but um, I obviously need to, to dig deeper because what I'm not doing is changing. <laughs> I'm still yeah, stuck yeah, in sure. the cycle. So, um, so I, I guess, and I probably haven't really, you know, gotten to the absolute bottom of it, but I, I definitely know that um, where, where it benefits me is that um, I guess, but so sorry. Another another thing I guess I, I realise is that I'm, I mean I'm alone all the time pretty much, um, right. and I'm quite I'm quite comfortable with myself, and um, you know I I feel like I like my myself, you know my true self, but yeah, uh, I, I guess I can't show my true self to the the real world. So so the benefit I get is no one gets to see my true self or me at my best, and therefore I can't be judged on my best. Or yeah, or, I won't or have your best rejected. Yeah, have my well, but yeah, my best rejected or my best criticised. So I think yeah. I have a huge fear of criticism. Yeah. So if I'm not playing footy because I'm injured, well, no one can criticise me for having bad bad games. Yeah. It takes yeah. away the pressure. It takes away the pressure of having to to um, be my best. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you mind if we get a bit scientific with this whole problem? Sure, I don't mind a bit of science. <laughs> well, I like I like putting on the scientist goggles and getting out the Bunsen burner. My, my son's just started Year Seven, and he's uh, telling me how exciting it is to use a Bunsen burner. It just takes me straight back to early days of primary school. I mean, high school. Um, but yeah, being scientific about it just goes right. Well, there's there's a problem to be solved, and you can isolate variables you can run hypotheses and you can bring a rational objective approach to this problem and break it down until you understand it does that make sense mm-hmm yep um yeah so typically people think their behavior is anything other than scientific it's messy it's complicated it's weird it's random it's a coincidence it's strange it's a mystery uh, and so how could you possibly understand it you, you can't you just got to kind of cope with it and negate it and suppress it and avoid it. Uh, but I think, I mean, you probably heard me say this before, and I'm sure it was part of some of the cool stuff you enjoyed with the boot camp, and that is that people work perfectly. So um, so if you if you run that presupposition, then you go, okay, well, there's nothing wrong here. Um, of course, you don't allow yourself to enjoy life. Um, of course, you sabotage your own success. Of course, you don't and put yourself in a place where you want to be. Of course, what what would you expect? That's the exact result you've designed your system to produce, and it's producing it for you all day, every day, even against your greatest desires and your intelligence and your, um, you know, your thought that you would have moved on by now. This strategy is still working exactly as it was designed to work. So it's great. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. 
<laughs> you're very good at it. Yeah, like you. I am. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you sure you want to change it? Well, I think that's probably one of my my problems that that I need to address. Because um, it seems as though I don't. Uh, and I mean, obviously, you know, I think well, yeah. What is interesting uh, is you know you, you, you're talking about the 35 to 40 age group. Um, being ideal because that's when you sort of experience the right amount of pain. And look, I'd mm. say it was probably at 35 that I started this with you. I might have been yeah. older, but um, you know, now I'm 40, and you know, I, I would say what has changed. Certainly, one thing that has changed is that I got myself out of a, a toxic work environment, which yeah. you know was wonderful. I mean, I, I um, took me took me a long time to emotionally deal with that, um, but. That, that was a positive and I also became very comfortable with um, the fact that I knew that a lot of these things were serving me well. But, yeah, sure. um, but there, there is a lot of pain because I just think, oh, if I have to go through my 50s and 60s and beyond, you know, without changing, that's probably more pain, pain than I believe that I could, I could handle. So yeah, I think the pain, the pain is currently sort of manageable but it, I don't think it will be for the long term so I need to find a way to to unlock why I'm not changing yeah great and um, here's an interesting thing around not changing and that is uh, if I if I uh, was sitting in front of you and I had a $10 note in my left hand and a $100 note in my right hand I said um, Jill you can pick which which note you'd like um, which would you pick? Um, yeah, well, sorry. The, the interesting thing is my first thought would be, of course, I'd pick the 100, but then I wouldn't probably think I deserved it. <laughs> so I probably would just pick the $10. Yeah, you'd, you'd probably pick the 10. And, and because yeah. even just having to think about it, you're like, hang on, there has to be a catch here. Like, <laughs> it, can't, it can't just be this easy. I couldn't actually take the 100. There must be no such thing as a free lunch. So if I take the 100, that's actually going to cost me more than the 10. The 10's not going to cost me anything, and it's 10 I didn't have, so well, I'll probably just choose the 10 and play this safe. Like that, yeah. That's probably the psychology that would underpin that decision for most people, um, mm-hmm. except except if I spent as, as long as it took to convince you that there was no catch that there was no trick, that it wasn't going to cost you, that in no way would you regret this decision, that you could trust me, that it was as good as it seemed, that you could actually choose 100. If I went to every length to explain that and you were satisfied, then which one would you pick? (laughs) Yeah, look, I'm I'm kind of um, sort of a little bit overwhelmed by this this feeling of, of not feeling good enough to take the 100. Like it's too much. So yeah, I think I'm still stuck on the ten, which does reflect. <laughs> That's amazing. Which does it does reflect my um, uh, my attitude towards work. Um, yeah, so I'm, I am currently job hunting at the moment, um, and yeah, that's a huge struggle. The, the whole money side of things is a huge struggle. I feel like I need to um, take a salary that is pretty much uh, you know out graduate salary and start my whole life again rather than believing that I have 20 years of experience and something to give. Yeah, yeah, cool. And this will be a really interesting part of the, the strategy we'll explore in a minute. 
Um, just just humor me for one more time with this ten dollar, hundred dollar. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> um, there are some people, there are some people that um, would take the hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say most people eventually, after I wore them down, in convincing them that it was okay to take it and that was a real option, um, if they thought about the benefits long enough, then a hundred dollars is better than ten dollars, almost in every possible way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most people will eventually take the $100. Um, so so this idea of, like, we're intrinsically built towards doing what works and what's good for us. The only reason we wouldn't take an option is if we don't believe it's actually better than the one we've got. Mm-hmm. We're not actually trying to hurt ourselves or rip ourselves off. Like, our unconscious is not a prick, you know, trying to make our life horrible that's not how it works it's just motivated by love and protection so the only reason you haven't reached for something more is because unconsciously the strategy of running is that this more is actually less than what you've currently got so the moment it actually becomes more in a real sense well then there's there's nothing stopping you changing Mm mm-hmm yeah, you look, don't I, um, fight, you don't have to fight yourself into doing what works. You're already doing what works. The moment you actually believe something better is available and you're able to take it, well, then you naturally take it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, cool. So just that, that's an important presupposition just to realise that you're not fighting against yourself to try and change it's just understanding the resistance. It's understanding the belief structure that would that would run this strategy that says no, no, a hundred dollars is, is actually not better than ten dollars. And changing yeah. and having more pleasure is not actually better than staying in a place where I restrict pleasure and stay where I don't want to be. And make yes. sense. Mhm. Yep. Um, cool. So then, behaviour is just the end of the assembly line. So. In order to understand a strategy and put our science goggles on, bunsen burner out, beakers, run some tests, hypotheses, get to the bottom, deconstruct this into its smallest parts, then behavior never lies. So, what must you believe about yourself in order to not ride your motorbike, and not have a clean house, not be able to take money, not move into a job you enjoy, like restrict yourself from pleasure? What must you believe about yourself in order to behave that way? Uh, I think there's definitely um, an element of, I I think a lot of the things that I'm really, um, the the dysfunctional behaviour that serves me well, uh, seems to come from a place of yeah, definitely a fear of, of rejection or feeling like people won't like me. So I feel as though success... So say if I was the best person, best motorbike rider in the world or the best football player, or, you know, have this job where I'm earning a lot of money, um, you know, my house is perfect, you know, I, I believe that would just open me up to um, people not liking me and... Um, yeah, been criticised. Yeah, 
So I think for me, it's safer to just be ordinary because people don't mind. People like ordinary. I, I, I feel like um, if you're really good at something, you know, <laughs> I, don't know I guess my perception is if, if you're really good at everything, people aren't going to like you. That's an interesting story. <laughs> and do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. That's interesting because I'm, I'm a really good coach. And I enjoy being a really good coach and I've devoted my whole life to being a good coach and it's um, something that I shine at and enjoy shining at and I'm glad to tell people about it and people enjoy the benefits of me being good at being a coach and you still like me even though I'm good at something. So that's yeah, and I mean, look, this is, this is a good point because I guess probably where, um, you know, what I like about you is that you want the best in people and I really like people who want the best people and I, I probably that's where I feel like I mean you often say that you know my problems are not you know no different to anyone else's really but um, so I think one thing is that perhaps I do have this self-belief that I'm very unique because um, when I watch a, a reality TV show for example I want the best for, for whoever is you know cooking off or you know singing or you know I, I I cry with tears of joy when they're successful yeah. and I really feel the pain of when when something doesn't work out. Whereas mm. I guess what I see, uh, if I look at my filters, when I look at social media, all I see is criticism and people love this TV show because they want people to fail and they, you know, I, I guess I've somehow created this filter where I'm only seeing other people criticise other people and not want the best. And, and I want the best in people and I just think it's unfair or I feel like it's unfair, <laughs> um, but I'm not getting what I believe I give other people, which is I want the best for them. Yeah, sure. Yep. I understand that. So let's just go... Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I didn't expect to cry. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I know what well, I did, of course. Like, it's a real conversation. It's pretty important talking about your life here, so it's probably going to be some emotion that comes up at some point. Um. So back to the science thing, and, and science is useful because it kind of gets you out of your own story. And and when you're in your own story, it's complicated and unique. When you're in the process, you see patterns, and it's easy to see the moving parts because um, it's scientific. So in order for you, or in order for anyone to behave like you're behaving, to not put themselves out there, to not allow themselves to enjoy the things that they know they enjoy, to not be good at anything, um, to kind of settle and survive in stuff that's painful and be ordinary. Um, yeah, some of the things that they must believe to be true are, just list, list these things again that you've just kind of thought about for your own life, but just think about them scientifically at a process level for anyone who is producing this kind of behaviour that you're producing. Like, because you can't, behaviour doesn't just spring up from nowhere or it's not creating the vacuum. It's just the end of the assembly line. So what belief must be underpinning that kind of behaviour? Uh, which which behaviour? The um, not allowing pleasure? Not allowing pleasure, not putting yourself out there staying in situations you don't like, being ordinary, 
it's all kind of the same thing. What what beliefs must underpin that in order for that to survive? Um. And don't jump back in the story. So you're not don't try it on. Just think about it rationally for anybody else. So don't even think about you. But if you were in a laboratory analysing some data and you looked at some behaviour samples and you went, well, okay, behaviour is just the end of the assembly line. What, what's underneath this that's producing this? What must be there? Um, that they don't deserve it? Or they don't feel like no, they have deserve to, it? Great. They'd have to believe that they don't deserve it, that they don't deserve to be happy. Great. Have to believe that. What else would they have to believe? Um... Uh, I guess maybe if they were to have it, it'd just be taken away. Yeah, nice. Great. So that's an interesting connection that they don't deserve it because maybe the deeper belief is they do deserve it, but they can't have it. So they told themselves they don't deserve it to protect themselves from having it taken away. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. What else <laughs> do they have to believe? Well, yeah, I think that um, that they'll receive criticism. Yeah, for sure. That uh, that standing out means you're going to get found out. People are going to that attention rising above what's ordinary is only going to cause you to get criticised and judged and knocked down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to believe that. So therefore, you'll you'll be believing that um, the safest option is to not hope, not reach, not try. That's Mm -hmm. the most loving thing to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Put all those conditions together, they would have to produce those kind of behaviours. And for those behaviours to exist in any situation, they would have to be underpinned by those stories or some variant of that story. It's not otherwise it's not possible to continue against all better judgment and against all rational sense making to keep producing that behaviour unless those beliefs are present. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep, clearly. Um yeah, like I say all the time, um anxiety needs a backstory to survive. Like it's impossible for to sustain being anxious unless you have some story, belief structure underpinning it that you continue to run and then it keeps producing that result. If you didn't have the backstory or if you had a story that says, oh, I'm totally capable and adequate and fine, well, then you can't produce, you can't be anxious in a situation. It's impossible. It doesn't come from nowhere. So mm-hmm. same, if, you, if you believe that you deserved love, that you were, uh, um, that, that if you stood out, um, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thought. You you were doing it just for the good of yourself and that ultimately that was good for the world. If you believed, um, yeah, that you weren't going to have good things taken away from you because you were going to stop that happening, well, then it doesn't make sense to hide and play small and not, not ride your motorbike. Like it just would be impossible not to ride your motorbike if those things were true for you. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make sense to you scientifically? Yes, it does. Yep. Are you? But I guess if 
interesting. Right. But how how can you? Uh, I guess you can't avoid criticism. I mean, that's out of my control. So all I can really do is what embrace it or. Well, it's kind of not the point because it's it's the fear of your own opinion of yourself. Like it's when you, if you were to be criticised, what does that mean about you? Well, the equation you're running is that if you were to be criticised, it and someone says you're no good, well then that actually means you're no good. Whereas someone else might be running other strategies says if someone criticises me, they're jealous of me because um, I already know that I'm enough and I know that I'm fine. Or if someone criticizes me they're just speaking out of their own insecurity and they want what I've got or they um, you know any number of different stories but mm, okay yeah yep. you're right criticism is going to happen yep. like yeah yep. of course people are going to swing away for a very for a number of reasons but it's not the point you can't avoid criticism and that's if that's your whole strategy mm. if you think right I'm afraid of criticism so therefore great I've got to avoid criticism for the rest of my life. Well, then run the strategy for running because it's working really well. Don't do anything. Mm. The moment you step out, the moment you have a voice, the moment you say something that's remotely interesting or different, well, people will jump on it and have all kinds of interesting ideas about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran some interesting... When I was a pastor, I ran some interesting experiments within the church to try and bring about some change and had a strong opinion about some structure and some you know cultural stuff around how we were doing our christianity and there are some people in the town that i live who would still think i'm the antichrist um, <laughs> you know so they were so personally offended by my ideas uh, so threatened their own belief structure and their own identity that they couldn't even talk to me if they saw me in the street um you know, so and that's okay because I, I think, well, I, I, whether I'm right or wrong, my intention was to do something loving and kind and generous, and I think I'm, I'm doing the best that I know how. So uh, I'm really comfortable in my own skin and fine with what I did and why I did it. So I can sleep really well at night. Um, mm. you know, so their criticism doesn't really affect me because it's doesn't make. It's not important. It's not part of the data that I collect that sell out who I am and what I'm doing and whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, and I guess that's probably um, that's the story I need to to write for myself is um, someone who isn't going to give up at the first sight of criticism and to, well, to actually know within me that I am enough and and have that the, the strategy in place that I can. Um, navigate through that rather than just oh okay well yeah. I'm going to leave the house again. <laughs> yeah, sure. And again, it's not about the criticism. So it's about fully becoming an adult, which is mm. this being self-sufficient. So the adult process is to go on a journey where you cut all the support cords. You know, like if you think about the role of parent. Sorry, have you heard me describe the journey to adulthood process before? Yeah, a little bit. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah, well, um, I, think I can officially say I'm not sure if I'm an adult yet. But. Well, yeah, because it's just <laughs> the role of the parent to prepare a child for adulthood and they kind of get it yeah. physically, financially, but not emotionally, relationally, psychologically. So for that reason, a lot of people get in your situation and sure, they're 40, but they, they're not an adult because they've never worked out how to reference their own opinion, trust their own judgment, 
um, be their own source of refuge, trust their own wisdom, judgment, ideas, and therefore they do rely entirely on their external world for validation and support and encouragement. And if they fear they're not going to get it, well, they're in a lot of trouble because they've got no plan B. And then yeah, look, I think make- I, I think I've got, I think I have a huge issue with not believing the world's going to accept me, the true me. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. You'd have to believe that, otherwise you couldn't continue to not ride your motorbike. Yeah. Even though it talks to you every time you walk out and see it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's. So, are you willing to stop thinking you're so special? <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, that's that's a good point. I do need to stop that. Yep. <laughs> and it's an interesting strategy, right? Like, because every cell inside of you uh, does actually know that you're okay and you're enough and you're worthwhile. You just haven't found the adult version of that yet. Mm, no, I, so, I'd agree. So, yeah. so one of the childish versions of that is to externalise it uh, and one of the cool external strategies is through comparison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so if you, like, there's a few different comparison strategies that run, like the the bullying is a comparison strategy, like you get to be better than someone who's weaker than you mm-hmm. and therefore elevate your own status. The martyr syndrome is comparison. So if you can find people who are worse than you and you can tolerate their bad behaviour, then you take the moral high ground and you are better than them, therefore elevating mm-hmm. status. Um, I even coached a guy with road rage, chronic road rage, and the nuts and bolts of it was a comparison strategy. He he needed to find bad drivers on the road to go, well, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, and then I'm better than you. Oh, excellent, I'm a good person. Because he'd never worked out how to own that so he had to find evidence that he's better than. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you you having this interesting story around being different is part of your every cell in your body trying to get the need for significance met. Oh, I'm different. Yeah, that that, that doesn't work for me because I'm special. Um, <laughs> it's it's all about this need for significance and value because you want to be worthwhile. You want to matter. You want to deserve. You haven't given yourself permission to have the adult version of that, which just says, yeah, that's actually true. You're all right. Whether you like me, whether you agree with me, whether you criticize me, I don't really care because I've already signed off on it. So um, here I'm going to be me and that's the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that all feeling? Oh yeah, it's all um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty spot on for sure. Yeah, which is like the change journey. Uh, you know, it's all you've got all you need. It's just the handbrakes on in the car. It's parked on top of the hill. And so the way forward is always about letting go of something. It's always about removing something. Like there's nothing missing. You're not lacking anything. There's nothing wrong. It's just some stuff that's in the way and you're hanging on to it. 
still well how do I yeah so how do I become the adult version of myself I um well have a guess how do you think you'd become the adult version of yourself um well I think probably uh to to stop Worrying about what every, everybody else thinks about me would be... You can't afford to do that just yet. That's that's a byproduct. Okay. Because um, if you stop worrying about what everyone else thinks, but you need them to like you, then you just go empty. If you haven't got a replacement strategy for that, then you, you can't sustain that. Because um, you, you do care what others think. Well, I, I guess probably um, maybe I need to put on my when, when I look at my childhood and my behaviours, <laughs> um, look at it from a, a more adult point of view, perhaps. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, to go back and review the data as an adult rather than continuing to run the childhood's versions of those stories. Yep. I mean, def- definitely a big part of the process because the, the childhood versions of the stories are always, they always are distorted towards negativity and immaturity. And when I, like I have the privilege every day of seeing people go back and unpack the stories they wrote as kids and they're always weird stories. Like, they're always stories that don't make sense. But they make sense <laughs> to a kid. But that's, you know, the stories kids tell are through the eyes of children with limited awareness, yeah. limited maturity, limited resourcefulness. They make 2 plus 4 equal 10, and that makes sense to them, and they're, they're away. And it just never gets reviewed. They never go back mm. to their, themselves as a child, as an adult, and go, could we just run these numbers again and just have a look at this data for a minute? Because, um, yeah, 3 plus 4 doesn't equal 10, it equals 7. Did you know that? Oh, no, well, that's interesting. I've always thought that meant that. No, it didn't mean that. No. <laughs> you know, oh, gee, I always thought that was about me. No, that wasn't about you. That was about your dad. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. Oh, that's interesting. That kind of changes a few things. So, yeah, I think you're, you're 100% right. It's about going back as the responsible adult to your, to yourself, being there for that child. And it's a very kind thing to do. Probably one of the most kind things you could possibly do for yourself is this, jo- this child that told a story, or a bunch of stories, and, you know, just like if, you're, if you saw a child down the street and you were watching a scenario where an adult affected them, and you could just see, it's almost like you could see in their head the sense they were making about that experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, imagine how you'd be feeling to them. You're like, you just want to go up and grab them and say, hey, listen, like, no, that, that you've got this wrong. That wasn't about you. That doesn't make you bad. That wasn't your fault. You know, can't you see this adult was preoccupied? They were busy. They were worried. They were, like, and don't take their stuff on board. It's not about you. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure naturally you could see how that works with someone else, and so to give that gift to yourself, you're very kind. Yeah. And and if I if I actually think about my childhood, 
although I, I grew up in a very, um, you know, I guess a, a loving family, um, and for me, my view is that, you know, within my family environment, I'm very safe, but the rest of the world isn't safe. And so when I think about me as a child in school, I feel really sad. Okay. I, I do. I think poor, poor little, poor little Jill. She had it so tough. So yeah, I think it probably it would be a really good, good process for me to to um, rationalise a lot of the, the things that I experienced at school. Hmm. From an adult perspective, because yeah, it's definitely yeah, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. At, as being a child. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well. Yeah. In a um, safe world. Yeah, wow. Well. So one of the interesting things about being an adult is learning how to be your own refuge, like your own source of safety. Mm-hmm. Just to go, I've actually got my own back. I actually have the ability to know myself and affirm myself and to understand my own intentions and to be there for me more than anyone else. It's a very adult thing to do. Because how could anyone yeah. really understand who you are, why you do what you do, what's going inside you? They're all running their own stuff. They're all imposing their filters and their map of the world on <laughs> you, trying to project their own doubts, fears, insecurities. So how could they ever know you or what you're doing and it's it's so true and and i feel a little bit like my entire adult life well i mean my entire life all i've done is um followed other people's advice yeah yeah sure yeah never it's really useful to do as a child because older people normally have wisdom and they've done some stuff so it makes sense to trust advice but it doesn't make sense for adults to trust advice because Advice is um, never useful. Like, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think. Uh, look, I'm living. Uh, I guess I'm living out of uh, yeah other people's regrets. So, for example, I guess a wow. classic one for me is, um, you know, all anyone ever seemed to tell me when I was younger was don't get married young, and so now, so I never did. <laughs> now I'm still single. <laughs> You know, so I haven't, um, I haven't made the same mistake that other people made. Fantastic. (laughs) Interesting. Can just use this as an example? That's a really great story just brought up. That is a (laughs) wonderful case in point to practice being the adult. What? How could you be the adult in that story right now? Um. Well, I guess. I don't have to believe that the circumstances they were under would have to, would be the same for me because I'm a different person. I might have been Correct. able to make better choices. Or Absolutely. I can, I'm capable of making better choices. Absolutely. Um, for sure, the essence of adulthood is responsibility. Mm-hmm. So how else could you be really responsible for that story as an adult? Uh, which story for? Well, for don't get married young. Mar- being married oh, young is a bad thing, and so therefore, 
the reason you didn't get married young and didn't find love is because other people told you and it's their fault that you haven't found love. Yep. Um, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> how, do you be an, how do you be an adult? Because that's being the child. The child is affected. The child is not my fault, not my responsibility. I'm here because of a bunch of other people put their stuff on me and there's nothing I could do about it and it is what it is and that's my story and that's why it's my story. Okay, so, yeah, I guess for, for, as an adult, is I, yeah, I made that choice and I'm... I'm responsible for that choice um, and I guess ultimately it has kept me safe from um, experiencing all the negative experiences that, that people told me about marriage and so forth. So what else, what also has it protected you from? Being rejected myself for sure. Yep. Or and, having... and what? Good and what good things has it protected you from? As, as in, what good things well, has it shielded you from? Or, Sorry. Well, what what benefits has it stopped you getting? Like, it's protected you from some bad stuff, but it's also protected you from some good stuff. What does it cause you to miss out on? Oh well, you know, if we go back to our um, original topic, uh, so yeah, a lot of probably a lot of pleasure. It's um, yeah. stopped me from, you know, meaningful friendships and um, probably help with financial security and, and all sorts of, of great things. Really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the so the adult thing, just to just to clarify from a process point of view, the child says, I'm I am a victim of my experiences and the people I trusted in my world told me a certain thing and and because they told it to me, that's why I lived the way that I did. Whereas the adult review of that data says, well, no, no one had the power to shape your own belief structure and your own internal rules. As a child, you agreed that they were right. You agreed they were telling the truth, which is a natural mm-hmm. thing for a child to do. So it's not you're not going back with blame. You're just going back and looking at who created this mess. Was it them or was it you? And while yeah. it may have always looked like it was them, it actually, they didn't have the power to create it because they probably mm-hmm. told that story to a lot of people and some people told them to piss off mm, yeah. and got married young anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, so at some <laughs> point you went, right, I think you're right. I agree. This is true. And so you wrote that story, not mm-hmm. them. Yeah. I don't think and I've, if you, I've really... If you, sorry, I cut, cut you off. That's right. I was going to say, I don't think I've really given my permission, myself permission to have my own, make any of my own decisions. Not the big one. Well, but this is the thing. You've already made all your decisions. You, already, you well, are already yeah. the one who wrote the stories in the first place. This is the adult discovery <laughs> just to go, you've already been doing it. Mm-hmm. You're already further down the road than you think. You've already been exercising choice, responsibility without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So while it's confronting you, go, oh my goodness, I wrote this story and this story has been the thing that's been limiting me. Well, the good news is, well, you wrote it. So you knew how to write it then. Well, you know how to write it. a different one now. Yep, true. 
how's it all sitting? Yeah, it, um, I guess probably the, the emotion that sits with me now is, um, well, yeah, I guess there's that. If I write a new story, a better story, will I be able to fulfill it? Oh, cool. That's that's a really interesting point you just made, and it, it highlights one of the key traps for um, people playing this game, um, and that is to jump straight to rewriting the story from today. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's a whether it's a, an aversion to kind of this therapy model where you kind of got to go back through all the pain and people don't want to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of common stuff. It's just be positive today and just be excited today and just have affirmations today and just move forward from today and forget about the past. Um, yeah. The problem is like the past is... is in every cell in your body in the form of beliefs and those beliefs are producing behaviour. So if you just try and change it, well, you've got to change it every day because the prevailing story is continuing to pump out the same behaviour. Mm-hmm. And it just gets more and more frustrating. So you want to change it effectively. You've got to go all the way back to the start. Yeah, And actually, as soon as you mentioned that, it actually... Um, a huge wave of relief <laughs> came over me. I'm like, oh, oh, good. I don't have to have my um, perfect story sorted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you <laughs> deconstruct it first. Because imagine imagine if you can go back and deconstruct all these stories first mm, and, and you yeah. had a clean slate and you could start again and there were no rules and there was nothing in the way. There's nothing in the way and you could, ha- you could have it however you wanted to have it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now there's a whole bunch of things that no, I can't do that because this is true, and I can't have that because I don't deserve it. I can't have that because that's not how the world works. That's so already limiting what you think is possible. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, I use this example all the time. It's like um, you know the "what do you want" question for someone who who hasn't asked it for so long. You know, it's like asking someone who's been in prison for twenty years. You know, say, what do you want? You can have anything you want. They're like, really? Anything I want? Yeah, anything. <laughs> well, I'd love three-ply toilet paper. Like, that would just be out of this world incredible. I couldn't imagine having three-ply toilet paper. How comfortable <laughs> and soft would that be? You know, it's like, really? That's that's the limit of, you know, because they've got all <laughs> these other restrictions that say, well, that's not possible. I can't have that. And that's, you know, this is my predicament. So they dream in the dark. Um, you've got to get out of prison first, go back and see the sky before you can then create this yeah, new and, version. And I, I relate to that because I guess right now, in this moment, I am feeling like a, a child who has um, yeah, this overwhelming belief system that you can't have what you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, you even explored that some further. The real belief under that is, well, you deserve what you want, but you're not going to get it. Someone's going to take it off you. Mm-hmm. So yep. well, that's, you don't that's really have the power to get what you want. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, you know, so it'd be interesting to go back and explore that, and I guarantee you, you would be able to get back to a time before that was true. 
which means it hasn't so always been... So at a point when I was able to get what I wanted? Well, so you... You mean? You think of, yeah, you think about it logically, scientifically, that every toddler comes into the world, every baby, every newborn comes into the world, inbuilt in them is a sense that they deserve beautiful level of care and attention. With 100% certainty, every cell in their body knows that they deserve to be protected, loved, nurtured, nourished, fed, cared for. And the proof is in their behaviour. Because what happens the moment they have need for any one of those things? Yeah, well, look, I think that's probably, um, if we're really digging into my childhood, I think that's probably one of my, my sources of, of problems. You know, when I have read books, They've said how healthy it is for toddlers to have their tantrums because that's what um, that's their way of learning to get what they want in their life. And uh, when I asked my mum about that, she doesn't really recall me <laughs> having tantrums. I've had one. She said I only have had one tantrum. Um, but I, I think from a very young age, uh, my my older brother was very sick, so I think I learnt that. Um, I just had to be good and, and um, compliant. Sure, so, you, you danced around the question yeah. and you went back into being special again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because um, go go down to any maternity ward mm-hmm. um, and you will not find an exception to this rule. Okay, yeah. Every newborn baby, um, what behaviour do they exhibit that proves they know that they deserve care, attention, food, nourishment, yes. protection? What, what behaviour proves that's true? Well, that's true, yes. Uh, uh, yes, okay. So my, my parents... Hang on, but what, yeah, what behaviour? Yes. Um, what what behaviour proves it? From mum or me? No, from the child. From, from any oh, child. How do you know this they, is true? They cry. They cry. They cry, absolutely. So the moment... Um, the moment that they have a need or the, mm-hmm. their world like as such is there, they know they've got to be protected. They demand it. They demand that they be protected, nurtured, cared for, mm-hmm. fed, cuddled. That is in every child. That is not a conscious decision they're making. That comes deeply from their unconscious because they haven't really formed cognitive ability and, you know, they're very early on in their, in their development stage. So you know that's true. So therefore, that's where we all begin. So at some point, you made a decision that that wasn't the way it was going to work moving forward. And you made that decision as a child with limited awareness, limited emotional intelligence, limited resources, and you made it based on what was going to be best for you moving forward. So you still made a loving decision. Mm -hmm. The point of what I'm saying is it wasn't where you began. Yeah, no, that's true. Understood. At some point, you let you you flick the switch to ah oh, okay, you know, I'm deserving love means I'm not going to get it. That's dangerous. I'm going to flick it over to I don't deserve. That's going to be far safer. Mm-hmm. Good strategy. Good strategy. And it was a good strategy for you, by the way. It was a loving strategy, a very kind strategy. Um, you might not have survived had you not flicked the switch at your at the young age, based on what was going on in your world with your brother being sick and your parents and their staff. And so well done. 
Well, no, sure. You did. You did what was best for yourself. You looked out for yourself. So the only issue is you just never back and you you just have not gone back and reviewed that decision. Mm, yep. Still the same decision you're living out of at forty, which probably now it's not working as well as it did when you first designed it. Mhm. Yep. Very true. Um, so it's funny, like, I was just thinking about affirmations in the mirror. Um, you know, most people are writing, I am special. You're yeah. writing, I am not special. <laughs> That's your <laughs> affirmation. <laughs> I am just like everybody else. I'm writing, I'm, I'm unique. No, I'm just the same. I'm not different. I'm not special. That would actually... That actually would be beneficial, yeah. Yep. It would be. Well, that's part of the story. It's part of the childish way of meeting the need for significance is somehow I'm different and being different is how I know that I'm meaning, I have meaning and value. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So just if you think about some of the key ideas that have landed for you in this conversation and just make them explicit and really bring your awareness to them what have been the key ideas so far in this conversation um oh look i think definitely um yeah probably uh i guess um peeling off a few layers i guess even though i knew i wasn't really acting as a true adult i think peeling some of those layers as to why I've I've been stuck as a child. Um yeah. and what I what I need to do about it. Um and yeah, look I think <laughs> I think it, it just really makes sense that that yeah, by being stuck as as a child I haven't really been able to um yeah, experience pleasure or or, or getting anything that I wanted but um yeah, I guess I do feel amazingly. This does actually quite surprise me. I actually do feel this amazing sense of, oh yes, I have, I have, I have experienced getting what I wanted before, even though it is as a baby. Um, that that seems really weird, but that's, that's actually given me a huge amount of um, belief that it's possible. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. Well done. It's like I felt it for the first time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, okay, that's that's profound. What what could you acknowledge yourself for in this moment? Um. Oh, well, I guess yeah. Acknowledging myself for putting myself out there to do this in the first place. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I agree. Lots of people had this opportunity. Not many people responded to it. You did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess also, uh, yeah, just being willing to listen and and um, yeah, I guess perhaps talk about some things that I feel a bit embarrassed about or I didn't really necessarily want to talk about or didn't think I'd talk about. Okay. Anything else to acknowledge yourself for?
um, this for having um, and now I guess having courage, which is pretty much the same thing I've already said. Um, um, an acknowledgement that um, I'm open to, to changing and, and um, yeah, making making the the new story in my childhood, and not. Um, I think probably what I probably need to really acknowledge is that. I've let go of this pressure that I need to create this perfect story now. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all massive things. And just the act of acknowledging yourself is a very adult thing to do. Because I, mm-hmm. I can say all kinds of nice things about what you've done well in this session, but who really cares what I think about what you've done well or not? Like you've actually identified in your own self, yeah, actually this was good, well done, well done. I like it. Do more of that. That's adult. That's adult right there. Mm. Hmm. Um, very cool. It feels like a an okay place to land the, end the conversation. It feels like a the end of a kind of complete idea. Is that okay to leave it here? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I think I'd be overwhelmed if I did any more. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's sometimes the problem. Uh, just to go, yeah, to talk about any more kind of then undoes some of the awareness you've had and fills your mind with more complexity. So, yeah, to leave it here and go, you've got some stuff that you needed and you're ready for and it unlocks the next leg of the journey. So, uh, fantastic. That was a really quality conversation. <laughs> Thanks for your time. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, For those of you who've been following my work for a while, uh, I've put out the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Uh, I'm convinced that insecurity can be overcome and not just masked, managed or avoided. Uh, But I think people who throughout time have found a way to show up to life unhindered have done so a certain way. There are keys that each of them have used. And so my work has been to compile these ideas and and make sense of the stuff that's worked and, and deconstruct key ideas so they can be used and reproduced. So look, that's available on my website. Um, I'm particularly interested in having conversations about overcoming insecurity for entrepreneurs and even more particularly 35 to 40 year old entrepreneurs. I just think entrepreneurs have got skin in the game. They have such a desperate need to solve this problem because it's all them showing up in the world solving problems. So it's good for the world to have entrepreneurs uh, at their best where it matters most. So if that's you, uh, love to have a conversation. Jump on my website, have a look at the seven essential practices and take the online assessment just to see how you measure up against these seven practices and how well you're doing. And uh, look, love, love to have a conversation with you if, if you think it could be helpful. I'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.